Hey. It's fun fact. The funnest facts of all time. Where the facts are fun and the fun is mandatory. <laughs> We're hilarious. That much I hope is people, true. People think, I don't know. My wife thinks we're People funny. People sometimes, fun- yeah, exactly. My wife did say that right before. She's like, "You're funny." I'm like, "I'm uh, funny right now." But it's probably it's in there somewhere. You just gotta like, you gotta move in your seat a little bit, but not right. so much that you change your distance to the microphone. No, I need to stay exactly. My head needs just to remain your, completely. Your head. Have you watched? You've watched Hamilton, right? Yeah, obviously. So I need to be like the king. Well, yes, in Hamilton. Yes, high energy, no movement. Right, my body stays completely still, but my body or my head—I mean—but my body's like kind of dancing, and I have like a very high energy, but no movement. Yeah, that is like was in that very performance. Very an impressive. impressive amount of energy with no movement. Yeah, it's funny. One last thing on Hamilton. It's funny because both my wife and I. So we watched. We you know we put it on on Disney. We both have seen it uh, in the in the theater mm-hmm. in the legitimate theater. So we, we both know it well. We both listened to the soundtrack a million, billion times. We put it on and we're watching it. It's like, oh, this is so great. Finally seeing it. And then I kind of just look at her and I'm like, I don't want to watch act two. And she's like, yeah, me neither. Because like it's all up in act one, right? It's all like. Yes. And then act two is depressing. So there's a few songs at the beginning of act two that I love. There might be my favorite songs. Like all the rap battle um, congressional stuff is or uh, cabinet stuff is like the best. But there's not most of act two I don't listen to because I'm just like. It's really depressing. I don't want to be reminded about all these awful things. I know they're there. I'm not trying to deny them, but I don't want to relive them at this moment. So we watched the first half and just turned it off. I'm definitely in the same place about like, I've listened to the first half of Hamilton many, many times. Many times. And then the second half, you know, I rarely get through all three and a half hours. Yeah. Um, and Karen thinks that's uh, here, like travesty. Like, no, uh, I don't want, I don't want, I don't like endings in stories. I like middles. I'm a middle guy. I like endings, but my, you know, a challenge when you have a historical uh, story you're telling is that it just happened in a way. And then if yeah. you're trying to find a uh, ending that's like really punchy and then yeah. it's like and then a conclusive thing happened yeah. that is seems like it follows clearly. I mean, not to say that like Hamilton, I, he was kind of building up to the situation he got himself into yeah um, we're not going to spoil hamilton something that happened i don't want to spoil it was hundreds but sure sure whatever um but when you have a story that you're writing from scratch and you want to make it satisfying there's lots of movies and and other stories that do a really good job mm. of building up and then having a big like impact moment mm. that may or may not be victory or failure or whatever and then like but in an emotionally satisfying way that's you know has a, a good mix of high energy but poignant and whatever but when you're basing it on historical or like in in a more extreme example from broadway is jesus christ superstar have you seen uh, that? yes i love that musical. right there's so much fun music it. in that and like oh, people so have good. divided opinions about um about that uh musical but i am the, team jesus christ superstar your team jesus christ superstar and there's some really great music in it but it the, the arc is like the beginning starts so strong and you're like <laughs> yeah and great songs and interesting characters and whatever but then like I mean, we kind of know, we know what happens to Jesus in the end, right? <laughs> Don't spoil it's that. That's only 2,000 years old. Just if anyone, you know. <laughs> Statue of Limitations isn't up on that one. If anyone's not familiar with the story of Jesus. <laughs> no, it's 2,000, but it's not long enough. Um, then, you know, you can go, there's a few ways you can avail yourself of that that yeah, story. There sure um, are. But. There sure are. But yeah, so it's the ending is just kind of a, oh, yeah, right, yeah. 
It's a downer. That happened. Ending. It's a downer. Yeah. 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 And it's not just like, oh yeah, well, you know, he died in in like an abrupt way, right? No. So it's no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's the end. And then they do like one last reprise of like of the, the good fun stuff. Song, just yeah. To, I just, just like to Judas. Not end on screen. I like that Judas song. You know. Oh, Judas is great. Oh, so good. Anyway, I like for whatever reason I'm a big fan of Jesus based musicals like Godspell. Huge fan of Godspell. I haven't seen Godspell, but oh, I find God the story wonderful. as someone who was like brought up totally secularly. Yeah. Um, I f- often like anytime I do find a story that is about Jesus that like treats it in a non-traditional way, I always find it really interesting yeah. to the point that I've like fantasized about like the idea of like running or writing like an HBO series on or like that style. You do that. That's a good uh, idea. Yeah, I, I'm well qualified for this. <laughs> on on like Jesus, but like from a, like if you were, and then there's been novels that have taken this angle, but like the story of Jesus as if it like, um, like rooted in very non, um, like don't go based on what the Bible says, but like go to what historians say is the most likely origins for these various stories. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So like there's there's a number of different theories that historians have. It's like, how did we get the story that Jesus died and then he came back and then did a little bit and then he died well, again? Well, because it happened, Alan. That's, it's, um, that's, so how we, that's how we got that. It's history. You can use you can go to the stories that are in the Bible. Um, and that's one <laughs> way to tell that breezed, story. You just completely breezed by. But if you're a secular historian, you'd be like, you could you could just be like, well, they just made this up. Yeah. Right? But often just stories are based on some little like something that kind of right. evolved into a legend for right? sure yeah and so uh-huh. it could be like one of the historians which i find this fascinating it's like one of the historians theories was that jesus uh was crucified but then in and he was left to, to die a at lot night. of people were crucified that's a fact yeah crucifixion was totally a thing that happened yeah. so like that's totally from a historical like if they analyze the 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 evidence that is left and the stories like yeah, that seems totally reasonable yeah. but then the, one of the theories is that his followers then took him down from the cross and like kind of scurried him away, but then he was still like he was still uh, fatally wounded. Right, but he wasn't he wasn't dead. He was, but just, he wasn't dead. Yeah. And they were like, but like, oh hey, Jesus, he's come back. But yeah. then, then he really did die. Right. Right. So right. you could you could imagine a story yeah. that if like, anyone from HBO is listening right now, please. Agree this is my this. pitch. I'll they, I'll refine it a little. Very long. <laughs> It's a good this is probably going to get cut, but this is I going think, to get cut. Yeah. I think uh, I think there's something there. I think it could be good. Well, the Godspell is sort of a they wear hippie clothes. That's all I'm going to say. But I love Godspell. They did that in the Jesus Christ Superstar from the original '70s movie too. Uh, yeah, well, Godspell is also from the set. It's from 1971, so yeah, it's, you know, but not made by uh, not made by uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Whereas in my like in my HBO uh, miniseries that is going to get greenlit. About Jesus, they yeah. would probably not wear hippie clothes other than to the degree that the, because we would get like the real hardcore history, uh, like right. costume It'd be department. Like what they probably really wore and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And we would try and like cast them as yeah. like people who would appear in the time as opposed to a bunch of like blonde Americans. <laughs> well, you, well, yeah. I don't even want to, we're definitely cutting this now because we're not doing a who was Jesus thing because I'll get in too much trouble. But I just want to say that uh, <laughs> uh, the guy who made Godspell, his name was Stephen Schwartz. So, okay. Uh, you know, he has his own perspective. I'm sure. Saying. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do, do uh, your fact. <laughs> None of this is going in the show. This is all gone already. It's on the cutting room floor. Okay. No. Fun fact. There was a double agent in World War II 
uh-huh. that was awarded both the Iron Cross by the Nazis uh-huh. and the Order of the British Empire in the same year. That's good double crossing. It's, you know they're doing it right <laughs> if they get both orders. In the same year. It's not like he did really well for one and then he's like backstabbed them and yeah, went yeah, off yeah. and did really well for the other one instead. There's, it's like simultaneously they yeah. both think he's doing really well for them. There was a, I can't remember the guy's name right now. There was a a, a secret agent during the uh, the Russian Revolution who was a secret agent the entire time and they never found out. Mm, yeah yeah it was found out decades later and but he was responsible and it was always like he was responsible for so much going wrong for them but he was also (laughs) but he was considered to be one of the most reliable agents and like they never found out he never got his uh his comeuppance he was just completely fooled everybody but this is different so uh, i would imagine man getting the the order because one of those two groups presumably knows that you're a double agent yeah, and the other one does not. Which is even more interesting if you think that they're you for sure you are positive that this person is a double agent for me. But it's like the other person's equally positive in the other direction. But please, please tell us. So tell us more. In uh the in beginning of World War Two, yeah. a Spanish man named Juan Pujol Garcia. Juan Pujol, I would assume. I looked it up and it in the pronunciation that came up on the internet they had the j in the pujol but pujol seems way i mean that would be Mm. what i would expect yeah that's super interesting okay but it didn't have the ipa pronunciation ipa is a thing let's go with that so juan pujol garcia yeah or pujol or whatever we said both so we'll just edit it so it said the correct one (laughs) but he in living in spain and the beginning of uh um, World War II and in the ramp up towards it, he had developed a great skepticism of fascism. That's uh, a good during, thing to be skeptical of. There's a good thing to be skeptical of on this show. <laughs> that is the official position of this show. You should yes. be skeptical of fascism. Skeptical <laughs> is understatement. An, an official position of this show. Yeah. Yeah. And so you. Uh, so this is this is, was the perspective of this uh, this man living in Spain because he'd been through the Spanish Civil War where there's like fascists versus the communists yeah. and like both sides treated him poorly. Fascist um, won. FYI. The fascist won that war. Mm-hmm. So he was, that did not help his his outlook on that. And so when it came around to World War II and he started to see uh, the Nazis taking over um, uh, territory in Europe, he felt like he was uh, morally bound to try and stop them in some okay, way. Okay, that's a good or thing. Undermine. I'm on board with this guy so far. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So um, his what he decided to do is he was going to become a British spy. And so he tried. Okay. Uh, three separate on three separate occasions, he tried to volunteer as a British spy, okay. but they turned him away. Okay, I don't know if it was like he just seemed too enthusiastic. Yeah, this is just like, man, you want this a little too much. Like this yeah. feels like you're for sure a double agent. It seems like the kind of person who would be a double agent. Right? right? <laughs> Maybe they correctly identified him as a double agent material. Yeah. Um, and so they kept turning him away. Yeah. Uh, and so we got frustrated and decided, fine. Well, I'll will instead just be a bad German spy. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll join the Germans and take them down from from within. Yeah, and so he made up a fake identity uh, as an ardently pro-Nazi Spanish government official. Okay, and it's cool. That's a cool identity. I mean, yeah, he's like, I'm I'm a part of the government, which he wasn't, but he's like, I'm part of the government here, and uh, I'm I think the Nazis are really great. I'm looking forward to when you get all the way over to to Spain. So like, thumbs up. Uh, and also, I go to to London for work sometimes, so I might know some stuff about the British. So just like you might want to have me uh, on your side. And so he was accepted by the Nazi intelligence service, but based on his 
combination of like these claims and I guess confidence. Okay. And so the Nazis uh, tasked him, his like spy job was, well, they knew he's like, well, you're, you're going to London frequently based on this international travel thing. So go move to London and recruit some agents there. Oh, okay. So he, okay, sure. Yeah. And, and he's like, okay, cool. I'll totally do that. But unfortunately he had no passport to actually do that. He couldn't actually visit London uh, he wasn't allowed to. <laughs> so he told them that he was. He told them that he was an international businessman who went. His whole thing was, I go to London. Yeah, his whole thing was, I go to London. He so he want me as a spy, London. which was the right thing to say in terms of being accepted as yeah. a spy. But he couldn't actually go there. Right. So he hid in Lisbon instead, uh, okay. and then as much as he could, he would acquire uh, documents from Britain. Uh, so things like train timetables and news reports, advertisements, <laughs> anything that so he could then make reports and send them to yeah. the Germans with information that was like cromulent. Okay. Um, totally cromulent word. Yeah, it's a totally cromulent information where it was just like, oh yeah, and this time I got in on this train, and like, and if you if you weren't in in Britain, like the Nazis were going off of the same inform- kind of information he had, which yeah. is like secondhand information. Yeah, so, and so he was like, very seemed, okay, um, and then he started as they requested. He said, oh, have you created any other agents? So he starts creating some fake sub agents, okay. and then. He could blame bad information on those on the sub agents. Be like, ah, I gotta get rid of Joey. Two, yeah, two, two lies. Or yeah, he just keeps on screwing up or lying, yeah, or he's not giving good. Right, the, um, but some of the things that he would submit to them, like anyone, any British person would see as like strange. Yeah, um, like the one I liked the most was uh, at one point he claimed his contact, like one of the sub agents, he had a contact in Glasgow, uh, in Scotland, uh, and he said, oh well, this this agent would do anything for a liter of wine. Oh, what? Despite the no. fact that a Scot- <laughs> the Scottish don't typically at that time especially drink wine. Nope, nope, and uh, nope. they don't use the metric system in nope. 1930s either. Nope, so nope, nope. it was like a highly suspicious statement. Yeah. But it just kind of glossed right over uh, in Germany. It was like, okay, yeah, seems like a reasonable sure, thing yeah. for a Scottish agent. like wine? Those yeah. Scots and their wine. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Um, and so he's doing this. Um, and the thing that actually got him finally accepted uh, as a British uh, double agent, which is what he'd wanted to be all, the whole time, right. um, is that at some point he managed to send the German Navy on a wild goose chase trying to intercept a British convoy that didn't exist. Well done. How did he yeah. prove to the British that he did that? Um, they found well, out about it. They were just like, the, oh, shit. The, apparently the British uh, were like getting German uh, encrypting. There's a whole inter- really interesting side thing in World War II about the oh, war yeah. of encryption yeah. um, of like the the Germans having these like fairly advanced like encryption machines, but yes. then the British, the British get being Alan one step Turing. ahead and decrypt. Yeah, Alan Turing. Who and there's a really they good movie about poorly, that. By the way. Who they treated horribly. Yes. Um, even like ignoring all of the great things that he did for them. Yes. Um, but they so they had this uh, program that was uh, ultra. I believe the program was called that was de- decrypting the stuff. So they had yeah. seen some mm-hmm. of his reports through this decryption um and then also i think the american he ended up getting on the radar of the american uh intelligence service who then forward is like hey this guy seems loyal to, this guy's loyal to britain but he's like screwing up the germans with no help from anyone do you want to like maybe maybe help get him. him on help yeah. him um and so the british uh, recruited him and sent him to then he actually got to move to britain which is what he was <laughs> supposed to be so then he actually was there 
So he was actually there, which was better for his cover. Easier to easier to do that from there. A little right? bit probably less stressful that you don't have to like pretend. Yeah. Um, to just even, for even basic stuff because he was like do like train timetables, and then he would have things like in his reports that they would be like, "Well, give us your expenses because they're paying for him and for his sub agents." So oh, we wow. have to have had the expenses. He's like making money off this. He was making quite a bit of money off of this. Um, <clears throat> Which I don't think it was like his original motivation, but I'm sure it like no, but I mean, it made him more enthusiastic. Yeah. Um, it, he he would have like a bunch of train expenses, and then on the form he was supposed to like total them, but he didn't know how to total the British like pounds and shillings system because it oh, yeah. wasn't metric. It's quite complicated. Actually. It was like a certain number of like twenty shillings in a pound and the twelve somethings and whatever. Yeah. And so he just wouldn't total them, and he just send them untotaled <laughs> and things like that. So all these little subtle things, but they didn't pick up on any of that um and so once he was in britain he grew his fake network up to 27 agents 27 non-existent agents some 27 non-existent agents all cool. demanding wine and money and all well, these yeah, things i mean, have that wine i mean this gotta is have Scotland, this scottish wine bro. yeah that's amazing and so he had all these agents and the nazis are paying for all of them yeah. um and then the british would work together with him to uh get large quantities of reports back they mm. wanted like denial of service the re- <laughs> on the receiving side and so That's he was cool. writing so it was something like uh hundreds of hundreds of reports of thousands of words each or something like right, that because he had 27 people working 27 people all the information is coming in from all of them yeah. and not all of it he'd be like well i don't know about this like it might be a little bit suspect but right. i'm going to give you a whole bunch of it anyway and then oh and this one this one seems really good and he would do things like um because he's getting all they're getting all this information but obviously, if it's just always wrong, they're going to catch on. Yeah, you got to so, give them some real stuff once in a while. He would give them real stuff late. Oh, that's so smart. It's like, yeah. oh, we almost had him. Almost had him. And so they would do things because then he started getting real information um, that was like given to him by the, by the, the British. Yeah. By the British. And so he would be like, okay, so there's an attack happening. Um, and that attack is going to happen. Uh, and they knew exactly what day and what, and uh, some, even some like really specific details like, oh, it's going to be seven uh, divisions of this or that. Right. And so he would put that information in a letter and then like put it in the mail two days before the attack <laughs> happens. Right. So it's like timestamp. Like he definitely had the information. Yeah. And before, and before it happened. Before it happened, it's just he knew the post didn't get there in time, and then it was slow. Or, or he would like one. There's one circumstance where it was like he w- he had some information he was going to give them, but then the German radio person didn't uh, wasn't there when they were supposed to be, mm. and so then he like ramped up how uh, like incriminating the information he was going to give was to like. Because like once he saw there was going to be oh, delay, yeah, because they weren't going to, yeah, and it was their fault. And then he ha- went on this whole thing about how he was betrayed, and yeah. he did all this work, and you weren't yeah. even there to get it. Yeah, that's so brilliant, he's quite clever. And so his like crowning achievement on all of this was, <clears throat> oh, actually, secondarily, so he was given one the strongest like top level of these Enigma encryption machines that the okay. Germans used for this wow. system of information. And so the which was amazing for the British yeah, yeah, codebreakers. Look at it. You could just look at it, and then also you could just type in text. You could get like the clear text and the encrypted text side by side, which is mm. like the holy grail for mm. trying to break these ciphers. Mm. Where you could just put in the quick brown fox, jump the lazy dog, and see what it says out, and be like, okay, let's reverse engineer this. Right. So you could type in common phrases, like a, infamously, there was a weather station that would say like the time and the and the weather, and then Heil Hitler in every message. Mm. And the fact that every single message, even though the encryption like key would change every day, the fact that it always said Heil Hitler at the end, and they were able to then re- reproduce. Like they were used used to help that crack the code, wow. and so this is like even more extreme version of that. 
Um, wow. So the um, so he got that, which was really great. But his crowning achievement was when D Day invasion was going to happen, which is okay. like the yeah the big best kept secret ever, right? The best kept secret, but it w- it wasn't a complete. They couldn't completely keep the invasion secret because it was like the biggest invasion of of all time at that right. time. It was like ridiculously large force of people right. all going to like cross the English Channel, and so they like the Germans knew something was coming. There's a whole bunch of activity. There's training. There's American troops coming in. There's a, a, a massing of troops near the the water. Like what's going to happen? And so he was keeping them up to date. And he's like, "There's something coming. There's something coming." And but what he was doing is he was directing them and saying it was going to happen, uh, not Normandy, uh, but near Calais, which is like mm-hmm. a bit down the, mm-hmm. the channel. Um, and so he's talking about talking about and talking about and then and then d- did like one of these radio drama things of like at the last minute being like, oh, and there's also going to be an invasion at Normandy. And like, here's the details of that. But it was too late for them to act. And like then it, the information quote unquote came late and then he was mad at them. But then he kept up this thing of like, they're still they still are planning an invasion near Calais with even more troops that didn't exist. And so the Nazis actually kept a decent chunk of their force intentionally away from where normandy happened on account of this guy's like uh subterfuge wow so wait, okay so wow okay i can't wait to find out why the nazis gave him an award well because he was giving them like like he was giving they they could tell and they appreciated and acknowledged that he was frequently giving them correct inside information oh yeah so they really just thought you're doing a great job and he was running their like almost their entire network of British spies, <laughs> right? Because they had so much information coming in, they could barely pro- like at times they were overwhelmed. Where right. like he would send them so much information and some good information mixed with a whole bunch of like non important information right. that they're like we can't even process all the stuff you're sending us. You're the so best they were looking we for have. even you're more. Incredible. He's working so hard. <laughs> Um, and so in uh, July 1944, he received the German Iron Cross, uh, which is normally reserved for like frontline military yeah. uh, personnel. And then in November of that year, he was uh, received the Order of the British Empire. Incredible. Yeah. And the Germans didn't figure like until like after the war, the Germans didn't know um, that uh, he had. Well, and like, by the time it's after the war, the Germans who found out were like, cool, good job. Well, they, no? there was a lot of concern that they might not have been like, cool, good job. Um, so they, he, he got like disappeared uh, by the British uh, really? system. They got and, him. They, they worry about reprisals? Okay. Well, well I mean, yeah. you know, there, you can imagine there would be some yeah, bad yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. Just out there being, you yeah. know. Not from like the tip, like normal German people who are like, oh, great. Like this, is, we don't have to deal with this anymore. But like right. someone who was like a high right, up right, right, person right, right. in the well, you know, regime. Family fun fact about oh. my, my own family. My, uh, my great uncle was like a international businessman okay. living, living in Germany. And uh, and the Gestapo, uh, the German secret police, asked him to be a, a, a spy. Oh, And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm Jewish. And they were like, we'll, we decide who's Jewish. And oh. he was like, what am I going to do? So he thought about it while he was there. And he was like, okay, well, yeah, that sounds cool. Because he couldn't say no to them, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, there's only one answer. Right, so he's like, that sounds great. But he's like, what do I do now that I've agreed to become a spy for Right, so he's like, that sounds great, sounds great. Uh, I just need to go home, get my, you know, affair in orders. Can't wait to get started. See you Monday. This is great. And then he fled the country hmm. to, to France and then eventually to the, to the United States. But yeah, he was, wow. yeah. So, you know, he should have been a, tried to be a, a double agent, but I don't think it would have gone very well. Yeah, I feel like almost no one has the, I don't know if it's supposed to be the right word for this, but like with this one double agent did and the amount of like. It's incredible. 
uh, like to, for him to even keep all of this in his head and yeah. do it so consistently and yeah. and like also to even get the trust of the British who were obviously like they know this guy's a devil agent yeah, very like he skeptical. has this he's obviously like a lying sort of personality right yeah 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 you have to be you have to be good at lying mm-hmm. in like a consistent calm way question why you're why why do I trust you yeah. Yeah. Well, hats off to you, Juan uh, Pujol slash Pujol Garcia. What uh, what happened to him? Uh, well, I think the the evidence becomes thin once it's like, okay, great, we won. Here's a whole bunch of like rewards and honors. Uh, but then they were concerned about reprisal by uh, the wronged, and so he was moved to Angola and then faked his own death and then moved some moved elsewhere. Um, to uh, like he, he like quote unquote died of mal- malaria soon after, but then was moved to South America or something. Wow, like that. yeah. Well, like I said, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks, Juan. Thanks, thanks Juan. <laughs> I don't know if I'm on, <laughs> if I'm on first name. <laughs> well, Thank you, Mr. Garcia, for your yeah. for your efforts. And I, th- I think it's interesting because like so many of those things now as a spy, like if I have a spy who's often giving me correct information conveniently just too late then now you know yeah now i'd be like this is sketchy so apparently there's a book about this guy written in 1973 where they had to they literally had to change his name because mm. he was still alive at that point oh so they weren't it was like oh there was a spy but then they made up a name for him so that he jorge didn't. antonio uh, mm-hmm. yeah but there's been movies there's a documentary from spain from 2009 his code name was garbo like like yeah because uh, he was supposed to be the best actor so oh, nice. garbo. Yeah. yeah well there's a documentary called garbo the spy hmm i feel like that would make a good that would be like a spielbergy kind of thing to do they should yeah well apparently so garbo feature films have been attempted on several occasions but none has reached production to date huh so all those hbo execs out there who are going to green light the thing that i cut out of the show please uh please don't do that because i cut it out but green light this documentary or this fiction series about it really could be a tv show i could do this one too a tv one show yeah because it could be you could follow through the war like you yeah, could imagine yeah you could do you could or a mini series like five seasons or yeah you know you could do like a bunch of seasons like i mean sounds like i mean there were like twists there were turns mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and you could do it and, and people don't and, fam- not familiar enough with the story so there'd be the suspense of like is he going to get caught and right. like, it really because it gets to this climax of d-day where the stakes are so high you're like obviously he's going to get caught right, right 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 i mean that's crazy yeah he the yeah he that's that's absolutely wild well i don't have a fact that relates to that in any way you don't have any double agent double crossing getting simultaneous awards from competing powers well i kind of did i mean i talked about my uh, great uncle oh yeah you, you did have a relevant fact yeah but but now we're gonna we're gonna take a turn as we do fun fact ethiopia celebrated the millennium in 2007 uh, okay yeah 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 okay so that seems slightly different than they just number their years off by seven than we do well yeah uh, so let me ask you, what what year is it right now? I would say, unfortunately, 2020. <laughs> Indeed, very unfortunate. But I would say that it depends entirely on which calendar you're using. That is definitely true. So there are in the Armenian calendar, it's 1469. Mm. Okay. In the Chinese calendar, it's either 4716 or 4656, depending on which system you use. Okay. In the Hebrew calendar, it's 5780. In the Igbo calendar, it's 1080, 1020, excuse me. 
In the Islamic calendar, it's 1441. In the Japanese calendar, it's Rewa 2. Okay. And in Ethiopia, it's currently 2012. So the Ethiopian calendar is similar. Is it like just they disagree on when Jesus was born? Well, we yes, but we will get there. There's a long okay. journey. There's a long journey to get to that point. So first, some background. You know how much I love background. Background is what you, what you live on. Yes, it's really true. We're back on calendar corner, by the way. This is not the first and won't be the last. I love these calendar facts. So the United States and Canada, home of both me and Alan, both use the Gregorian calendar. Hmm. It's become a popular one. It has. It was created in 1582 by Pope Gregory Thirteenth, who was modifying the Julian calendar, which was originally proposed by Julius Caesar in 46 BCE. So it goes a ways back. Yeah, so the 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 calendar that we're that we're using today has its original origins actually even older than that. It was a reform of an older Roman calendar, but I'm going to stop wait, here wait, on Wait, wait, wait. Can we pause for a second? So the Gregorian calendar came from the Julian calendar. The Julian calendar started in 46 BC. So the Julian calendar calendar started before Jesus was said to have been born. It what didn't have anything like the date zero was that had just like nothing to do with retconned it. as that's yes. when Jesus was born, and yes. they, that date was already zero before he was said no. to have been born. Like they started, Julian Caesar started at minus forty three and then worked up to zero. No, so, I, I may, I'm derailing this a lot. Yes, but that's totally fine. I expected this, and it gets so much more confusing. So okay, good. The 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 Romans. We just like to keep our audiences confused as possible. Yes. So there's two facets to this, as you're seeing now. One facet is, what is the structure of your calendar? Mm-hmm. How many months do you have? Sure. How many how many days per month? What are you know? What is the structure Even down of the to calendar? The leap years and all that stuff. Correct. Like. Yes. The second issue is, what year is it? Mm-hmm. Where does it start? Where does it start? So that calendar that we use is a modification of the Julian calendar, but the Julian calendar also eventually was based on the year zero, or not exactly actually, but on a year zero, but it was not the calendar in the Roman times. They obviously were not, especially in Julius Caesar's time, they were obviously not using a Jesus-based numbering system. So that happened later. And the Julius Caesar calendar was a modification itself of the older Roman calendar, but I'm not going to follow that thread any farther back down the calendar rabbit hole. I Maybe I'll follow up in a future. Okay, episode. so the Gregorian calendar inherited the Julian calendar's uh, structure of like month, yes. the way the months can go, but not where their idea of where zero was. Yes, necessarily. the, okay. the main issue okay. that caused the creation of the Gregorian calendar was that the Julian calendar had some inaccurate mathematics about the length of a year. Yeah, it was rounding a little, and was on a fixed leap year schedule. Mm-hmm. So specifically, that all those are all quite complicated do- details, but. The calendar was off by one day every 128 years. Which was fine for a while. That's fine for a while, but it's the calendar was around for like, you know, 1540 something years. So the, the, that, and that, that one day off every 128 years is due to a miscalculation. Just so you understand how small these things are, it's due to miscalculating the solar year by 11 minutes. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it's just like in enough time, that kind of drift really changes things, right? And so when the Gregorian calendar was introduced, the date, had to had to advance by 10 days. So, okay. Thursday the 4th of October 1582 was followed by Friday the 15th of October 1582. So they just had a instead of a leap uh day like we have, they had leap 10 days in a row. Just one time, right? When the calendar but we have a leap was leap hour. When we the cal- this- yeah, we do. But when the calendar was introduced in 1582, for the people who for the countries that adopted it at that time, 
they had to do a 10-day leap. Right. Okay. Now, many countries didn't accept the transition. They were like, I don't know, whatever. The calendar's fine. Yeah. England didn't switch until 1752. (laughs) Okay. And so then we have various countries not even agreeing what day it is. Right. But to do that, they had to make 1751 a short year of only 282 days. Oh, God. (laughs) And they had to drop 11 days from 1752. So Wednesday, the 2nd of September, 1752, in England, was followed by Thursday, the 14th of September, 1752. And there is an urban myth. I think it's probably apocryphal. But there's there's a story that Londoners were so mad that they rioted in the streets shouting, give us back our 11 days. Because the idea was like that you were going to like die sooner. Like some people were afraid that they literally lost part of their life. Huh? Because you only have so many days and now we've just lost 11 of them. Like I'm sure there was some practical, like at that time there would have been like laws and agreements and businesses. And so it'd be things like, okay, you get paid monthly and they're like new month now. And you're like, Hey, no, I only got two thirds of what I was supposed to get. For sure. When you get into like certain things about our current calendar still to this day have to do with like that period of time and how the tax schedule was adjusted. Like why we do things on certain days now was like because of taxes in 1752 or they're like, we have to make sure we don't double pay people and we have to make sure we get all the money we're owed and this kind of thing. So days moved in like specific ways. So in the 1600s, 1700s, they made all these adjustments yeah. in Europe, yeah. and they eventually got into some system well, that was the Gregorian calendar. Yes. So most of the world now uses the Gregorian calendar, mm-hmm. although it should be noted that Saudi Arabia, like, for example, didn't switch until 2016. Hmm, pretty recent. Yeah. There are still four countries in the world that do not use the Gregorian calendar even for civil purposes, because a lot of countries like Israel will use it for civil purposes, but still use their own traditional calendar, the Hebrew calendar, for sort of religious and holiday and sure. kind of maybe other... to like mark a birthday of somebody or something. exactly for all kinds yeah. of additional so they will use both calendars japan is the same way like like i said it's the second year of the reiwa period because they have a new emperor but like they still use the like if you're in school it's still the gregorian calendar and then for like other things outside of school or work or whatever or paydays and loans and documents it'll be the gregorian calendar but there are still four countries in the world that do not even use the Gregorian calendar for any purpose, even though I would presume that the citizens of those countries, when interacting with the rest of the world, at least need to be fluent in the idea that, that, that they're going to have to do some math. But those four countries are Nepal, Iran, Afghanistan, and Ethiopia. Huh. So Ethiopia uses the Ethiopian calendar, which is based on the Coptic calendar, which is itself based on the ancient Egyptian calendar. Oh, geez. Okay, so we get Egypt <laughs> to Greece to Ethiopia. The, the Ethiopian calendar has 12 months of 30 days, plus a 13th month of either, either five or six days, depending on whether it's a leap year. Okay. And they still have that problem where they have a fixed leap year. Mm-hmm. So the first day of the year in the Ethiopian calendar is also not January 1st. It's either our September 11th or 12th, depending on whether it's a leap year. So the year changes even though the month doesn't? No, no, no. I'm saying their month changes. Oh, I see, I see. It takes place on our September 11th. Because it's fallen off by like a quarter of the year. No, I think it's just because they started at a different time. Hmm. But that September 11th is moving, is my point. It will eventually be the 13th, 14th, 15th, whatever, because there's still a date creep. Yeah. Between the Gregorian... And the uh, because of that same date creep that exists between Gregorian and Julian, because Ethiopian calendar has the same Julian calendar feature of a fixed leap year schedule. So it's kind of buggy and they never patch it. And they did. They, they, well, they patch it in a way that works for them. 
right? It just doesn't work if you're converting to us. Right. Right. But so none of what I've said, none of it explains why it's 2012. Yeah, because everything you talked about all has to do with like, how do you go day to day? But it has nothing about what the start year right. is. And now you accurately guessed this at the beginning. Very well done. Sorry. That's totally fine. That's because both the Gregorian calendar and the Ethiopian calendar start numbering from the supposed birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the Ethiopian calendar uses a calculation made by Anianus of Alexandria. Apologies okay. to his family for my mispronunciation. <laughs> Sound right to me. It's done around the year 400. Okay. And he de- determined that Jesus was incarnated or enunciated, which I think is a fab- fascinating term. Like they don't talk mm. about Jesus' birth. They talk about his enunciation. Yeah. Uh, but he was supposedly enunciated on what the Julian calendar would have considered March 25th, 9 CE. Okay. Right. Now, the Gregorian calendar, on the other hand, uses a calculation from Dionysus Exegus, or maybe Exegus. Okay, also cool name. Which was made in the Gregorian year of 525 CE, so 125 years later. And this calculation placed the birth of Jesus eight years earlier than the calculation by Anionus. Right, so two different... Uh, Greek guys did their analysis yeah. at different times yeah. and they got to similar, but not the same. Right. Results. Based on whatever system of determination that they were using on unclear. And that is why, while it's unfortunately, very unfortunately still 2020 here, it's only 2012 in Ethiopia. They, they're in for a surprise in eight years. Yeah. But they can plan ahead <laughs> because they, they know. know what's going on here. So in a, in a sense, they're both ahead and behind us, though, because remember, the, the issue here is that they think Jesus was older than, than, than the Gregorian calendar does. So they're starting, you know, they're, or, or they think he, they, they, we think he, Jesus was earlier than they do. So that's why they're later than us, but they're also earlier than us. It's confusing. It's a brain, brain, brain uh, teaser right there. But wasn't the world supposed to end in 2012, too, or was that? 2012, that's a misunderstanding to my... Coming to a future uh, calendar corner near you, what was the Mayan calendar and why did 2012 matter? But uh, but if it was off by eight years, then it was 2020. <laughs> <laughs> now that is a compelling, compelling theory. I think I've just pr- I've just made enough to start a YouTube channel there. Oh yeah, for sure. Now you could definitely get in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I would like to to do many many more facts about um the the incredible goofiness of calendars, but I hope. Even this fact has shown the complete and total and utter arbitrariness of the date 2020 and the month of August. I had to think of what month it was even in and even our day that we're currently recording on. Yeah, I think we were went into like years ago now, the like naming of some of the months and how yes. like pernicious and random some of the month names yes, were. Yes, it was an early fact from the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's all very, but I mean, I think also like, when it's explained how random and arbitrary the calendar is. And then you think back to just like, this, like, oh, 30 days in these months, 31 days in those months. This <laughs> 20, one's 28. 28. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, mm, and we still have yeah. leap seconds. Yeah. This it, is kind of a bit of a, it's all hacks on, on hacks. hack garbage pile. But I think it, it also makes sense because the calendar we're using was invented in 1582 mm-hmm. and based on a calendar invented in 46 BCE, which was invented even older than that, like, you know, in the 500 BCE range or something like that, whenever the Roman calendar was from. So it's, it's just like, it's just, it's just a really 
you know, I mean, as any engineer knows, calendar stuff is very complicated, right? I, one of the things I enjoy about when I'm reading sci-fi or if there's like a well-made sci-fi show or whatever, it's like which things they decide in their fiction have been replaced and which things stay. Right. And I can't remember having seen one where it's like Star Trek levels of, of like technology, but it's just like, oh yeah, it's Thursday today. But like, I feel like at this rate, it probably will be like that. It'll be like, we'll be able to like transporters and like replicate food and like explore the galaxy faster than light. But it's like, yeah, someone's got a case in the Mondays. Like it's just, <laughs> this has so much momentum. Yeah. I also like it when they change things in totally like nonsense ways where they, they feel like the need, especially where like star Wars stuff, they'll be like, this is like photons moving rapidly through quark and electric. It's like, you can just say like a hot knife through butter. Like you don't need to like, you know, you have to have jargon that's appropriate to the world. Yeah. By the way, the year that Julius Caesar proposed the Julian calendar would be considered 708 ab urbe condita, which was the, which is an expression that was used in antiquity and, and is used by classical historians to refer to a given year in ancient Rome. It's based on the idea that Rome was founded in a certain year. So this right. would have been the 708th year since the founding of Rome. Uh, in a practical sense, my understanding of the Roman times is that they would refer to years by naming them based on who the consoles were. Okay. So there were two consoles. So you consoles get like Nintendus and PlayStationist and yeah, just build yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. The year of Nintendo and PlayStationist. That that's how that would be referred to in, in documents written around that time. But uh, it is currently 2773 in the Julian calendar numbering. Well, that's good to know. I was wondering that exact thing. (laughs) And now next time I'm sending it, I can send my email client. Because like sometimes you get really deep into the settings of things. And it's like, do you want to use the Gregorian calendar? And I've always been too afraid to say, no, I'll use them together. Yeah, the current numbering, which would be called Anno Domini, right? Which translates to the, the year of the year of our Lord, right? That mm. comes from that Dionysus Exodus guy or Exodus right. guy who was trying to figure out when Easter was supposed to be. Cause that was one of the main problems with the Julian calendar for, for Christians. Like the reason the Gregorian calendar cared about the fact that the whole thing was, was shifting was because Easter was getting less connected to when the last supper actually theoretically was. Right. And so they just kept, it kept moving and they're like, nah, this isn't working and whatever, whatever. So this guy did a, a quote unquote better calculation of this. And as part of that, uh, figured out, you know, roughly when he thought the birth of Jesus was. And that's when the um, AD numbering starts to exist. So that wasn't a bunch of the holidays like lined up to match, not with like the historical theories of when the things happen, but like, well, there was a similar festival near December 25th. So we'll make our festival, which is like totally reasonable. Like you're designing religion. You'll make it like, don't make it different in ways that don't matter. Right. But there's no, yeah, no, no. All the, all the biblical evidence from my understanding is that Jesus was born in the spring. Uh, yeah, and that, but that Yule was a holiday that already existed, which also makes sense. Cause it's like all the other animals or there's all the baby animals in the, in the manger, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's it's right. springtime. Right, for sure. No, no, no. I, I think it used to be celebrated in the spring. But, but by the way, th- this guy, Dionysus of Dionysus Exodus, he came up with this in 525. It was not widely used until after 800. So it was okay. like around for like a long So all long. those people who created like, oh, no, no, you should use my calendar where we have 100 days in the year and all this stuff. 
and then people ignore it for decades, they still have a chance. They, you always have a chance. Because this Dionysus guy, he created a calendar and it took like 200 years and they eventually Well, he created it. a year. He didn't create a calendar. He created a, he created a year system. Yeah, sure. Because right. like the, it's the epoch. It's an epoch, right? It's always an epoch. Isn't everything an epoch? Uh, I'm not sure what epoch means, but I feel like it's important. <laughs> an epoch is an instant in time chosen as the origin of a calendar era. Oh, right. Of course. Because like the, on the computer's epoch is, is like zero. January 1st, or, 1970 yeah, or 1970, which yeah. we talked about that eventually like when the computer right. storage for a number gets full, then everything loops back to 1970. And that's why sometimes you create a, send someone a file or whatever. And it was like last edited. I, for whatever reason, often you see not January 1st, 1970. You almost always see, or at least on Macs, December 31st, 1969. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super random. Which is even more obviously wrong, but yeah, then kind of like cool. The, by the way, there is no year zero. I don't want to touch this file. It was edited in 1969. <laughs> there is no year zero in the, in the Anno Domini system. Oh, it switched from like 1 BC to 180? It goes from 1 BC to 180. That's right. Do all of them do that? I don't know. I don't think so. But there is there is no there is no year zero in this. There is a year zero in astronomical year numbering. Astronomical years have different... Oh, this is like BCE versus CE as opposed to AD? Uh, no, no. It's for literally for astronomy. But their year zero corresponds to Julian year one. That seems like an unnecessary optimization just to shift it all by one. Astronomers use the Julian calendar for years before 1582. See, and the, astronomers, the Gregorian calendar for years after 1582. If the astronomers were really like <laughs> subscribed insane. to their own dogma, it would be zero would just be when the Big Bang happened and you can't from there. Yeah, that's 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 a great point. But like I just think like so as I said, 1582, the year that's the year the Gregorian calendar was was, you know, instituted by the Pope, right? Yeah, they just start counting using that numbering system then, which seems like the worst possible way to this do. Is this is not to help. This is not help anybody. It's no, this is like even more complicated. By the way, Greece was the last European country to adopt the calendar, and they did it in 1923. I'm just really digging this Big Bang Zero one for the astronomers because it's like Kelvin, right? No. It's like how much further back could it be? How cold could it be? Zero is the minimum one. Yeah, and then you don't have to deal with negative. Yeah. That's that's the new beginning of the year. Well, you know, uh, a writer that I used to be quite fond of named Robert Anton Wilson, who famously wrote a book with another guy called the Illuminatus Trilogy. He signed all of his letters with like the date in like five or six different calendars, at least one of which he made up. <laughs> sure. Well, so. you know, when you're like a f- fiction, I assume that this is like a f- it's the sort of like world building. You fiction. never heard of the Illuminatus Trilogy? Illuminatus doesn't sound amazing. Oh, dude. Okay. Illuminata. Try to be 18 again and then go read it. <laughs> but it is amazing. That's not a good. <laughs> it definitely good changed my life, uh, and and maybe it would change yours. But I I yeah I think that just pointing. I think his point was because he was a nonfiction and a fiction writer. I think his point was to point out to people the that believing in these systems that are completely arbitrary to the point where like crazy things happen on certain dates and people have people have so much belief in like the primacy of dates and times and even even friend of the friend podcast that you and I both enjoy of the show uh, cortex where you know Mike Hurley is completely convinced that you can only do new themes on January 1st whereas Gray continually says like that's nonsense let's do it in September or in the summer or whatever other time makes sense and you know it's just like this arbitrary notion that this calendar thing matters at all and all it is is a way for us all to like talk to each other the Wikipedia describes the trilogy as a satirical postmodern science fiction influence adventure story laden with drugs, sex, and magic. 
that yeah. treks through a number of conspiracy theories, both historical and imaginary, relating to the author's version of Illuminati, yeah. which feels like that would be popular now. Uh, it's an incredible, it's a great book. I mean, I guess it's technically three books or five books or something, but it's 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 incredible. I mean, I really, really, really do uh, enjoy that book and I've read it many, many times. I think I might be slightly too old for when you combine science fiction and magic and conspiracy theories and satire all in one but maybe yeah maybe it's like one of those like you blend enough things together <laughs> well it, yeah they, they add more than that i would say there's also you know an argument for anarchism there's some arguments for libertarianism in there which you kind of have to like hmm. but like you know there's a lot of like different you know that's where i learned about the 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 idea of immanitizing the eschaton what, is, people refer to this eschaton. What is it? To amanitize the eschaton means to bring about the heaven point of history in the imminent world. Okay. So it's eschaton is a theological term from, I believe, Christianity, but appara- apparently exists in other religions as well. But oh, I guess as eschatology is just a, in, a concept in general, it's, it's a part of theology concerned with the final events of history, like whatever's going to happen at the end of times. Sure. And imminent world is the world we live in, right? The non, the 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 material world. It's to 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 Im, to make something imminent is to make something divine actually exist in the material world. And so this is like the idea of like instead of just waiting for heaven, let's try to create it now. Yeah, trying to make whatever the afterlife is going to be happen now. Well, okay. I mean, you could easily, I could interpret that as like the, well, you imagine heaven is this great place where everyone gets along. Why don't we just be like that now? That would be the good way to interpret that. <laughs> and the other is like, everything's going to be, the world's going to destroy itself and we're all, it's got all be horrible. So we might as well do it now. Yeah, like, which it, it, I don't know. Well, yeah. In, in, yeah. In the, in the Illuminatus trilogy, as I recall, which the first line of which begins apparently according to the Literally, the Wikipedia page where a manatized the eschaton says, the, the, the phrase is cited in the Discordian text Principia Discordia, first published in 1965, and appears 15 times in Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea's 1975 The Illuminatus Trilogy, the first line of which reads, it was the year when they finally manatized the eschaton. And in that book, they, they're, I think they're talking about uh, becoming, uh, well, one side thinks that they're becoming some kind of energy gods, and the other side definitely doesn't think that so <laughs> it's that's a whole other it's a very 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 weird book i have no memory now of how we got from it's 2012 in ethiopia to any of this but i'm loving it i'm here for all of it and uh and i think we should we should all have been here and now not be here anymore all right well i should probably go and manitize the desk please don't at least go read that book first so you know what's going on so i even but, know what it means yeah so you even have any idea what it means but i would say that uh I'm, I'm, I don't know if I think you would like it, that book. I think the book or, okay. Yeah. Especially because I think some of the concepts in the book, I think you would find really interesting. Uh, but I don't think that the way, I think the book is written in a form that would annoy you. So, yeah, I could see that. I've been really enjoying, I've been going through like uh classic, well regarded, um, fiction over the last like couple years, like uh, picking up uh, Neuromancer and yeah. Dune and stuff yeah. that's like uh, okay. famous yeah. things that I had just hadn't read and like kind of filling in those gaps. Yeah. And I often, I'm always glad I've read them because they're so popularly referred to and there's often some really great and interesting things in there and just, or, or, or like in Neuromancer especially, it's like 
you can see the structure of so much later stuff like the matrix mm -hmm. movies are like at least the good parts of them are like in there basically mm -hmm. and they were obviously inspired by them even down to just like referring to the matrix happens in the book um but they also sometimes annoy me like the older they are the more they annoy me in various ways yeah yeah i get that i think you know the book was intended to be a world in which all the conspiracy theories were all actually true okay but there is there is like a lot of really interesting philosophy and sort of psychology and uh, you know like because because the same guy like i said later on he wrote one of the two guys the sort of more well-known one he went on to write a, he went on to write another well-regarded trilogy called the schrodinger's cat trilogy which goes in a, a different direction but then he wrote a lot of stuff about sort of physics and quantum physics and quantum psychology and you know linguistics and other kind of like nonfiction stuff and kind of explored some of the stuff quantum psychology is not a phrase i'm familiar with but it does not sound particularly nonfiction. <laughs> like quantum psychology definitely sounds like something that somebody has decided how they feel about the world and then they're going to backwards describe it and then that's going they're going to call it quantum psychology it, it it's 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 mainly about problems with aristotelian reasoning and how oh, it okay. and how it exists in everyday language it's like a semiotics and semantics book Okay. Uh, and basically talking about like the structure of language and being like is is something is something being inherently kind of a flawed concept and it just kind of yeah challenging aristotelian logic yeah so it's more philosophy than it is psychology or quantum physics well it's no 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 the, the psychology part is the effect of of believing in these systems on the on the psychology of people right okay the book is written in something called E prime, which is a version of the English language that doesn't include any form of to be in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It doesn't have any form of to be. So you can't say is, was. Correct. Were. Yeah, yeah. No, it's based on like Korzybski's semantics ideas of like you have to notate everything as like being, you have to d accurately describe the experience as opposed to create a f moment that's considered, you know, static in time. So as like a not uh, like fancily educated person, <laughs> what what are the consequences of like, what? how does it change? I mean, it sounds like this whole book is personally about this, but like, how does it change how you communicate if you never say something is or was something? Well, one example. So here's a couple examples of ways that this can, can affect things. So one, one thing is internal, one thing is external. So you can't, using this form of English, you couldn't say, I am depressed. You'd have to say, I feel depressed. You'd have to say, I'm diagnosis depressed. I feel depressed when I tend to be, de tend to feel depressed when this happens, that kind of thing. And you also couldn't say, oh, you can't even say I am depressed because that's still to be. Right. And you also cannot say Fuck. all <laughs> X are X. Well, that's probably for the best. Yeah, exactly. So you can't say like all whatever is whatever. You have to say all whatever seem to be to me or seem to me to be, you know, like you have to qualify everything in ways that, that make it clearer that you are not speaking in some sort of like, you know, stone, you know, carved in stone kind of manner. Now I read this book in college, so I am sort of remembering from memory, but like it, it was very consequential to me. It, it, it definitely in terms of like, uh, and, and his books in general, and he's kind of a, he, he had, there are some, you know, he's kind of a questionable figure in certain ways, but he, he, you know, it, it was really powerful in terms of me realizing kind of those ideas at a core that like the, the, some of that thinking is really detrimental and that talking about in this particular instance, like talking about things in that way makes them hard to change. 
right? Like if you say I am depressed, well, it's very hard yeah, to change yeah. that. If you say I feel depressed, well, that's really easy. Just change your, you know, find a way to change your feeling. Right? That's a huge thing. in like, I've been reading in parenting and like also self, like, how do you think about yourself? But like labeling behaviors instead of people, right? It's and so it's like, much more powerful. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. much more helpful. If you're like, no, I'm this. And it's like, well, you're feeling that right now, or you, this is something you're having a hard time with, or you haven't learned it yet, but it's not that you are you know, incapable or whatever. Right. Because people get that in, in their heads and then they think, Oh, I can't do it. You know, some, someone tells you along, some adult figure tells a kid along the way, yo, you're bad at this or you're good at this. And it like completely changes their whole life. Yeah. I think I got like fairly screwed up at times for being told I was good at things. Yeah, exactly. And it's like instead, and it's, you know, instead of saying good job to a kid, the better thing to do. And I, I I fail on this all the time with my own child, but I try to be like, Oh, you did this. Right. You just tell, you say when they get a question right, you say, "Hey, lucky guess." That gives them a good lucky feeling <laughs> instead of making them feel like they 